This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is John Bodie, CEO and President of the Corn Refiners Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with John Bodie of the Corn Refiners Association next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is a six-point commitment to make crops more efficient, to rescue more farmland, to help biodiversity flourish, to reach and empower smallholders, to help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts continues to look for policy revisions that would bring a preemptive food labeling law to the country to thwart efforts by individual states to label food items with GMO ingredients. John Bodie is CEO and President of the Corn Refiners Association. He says there's much more to this issue than just what's on a product label. What's at stake is the, the future of biotechnology and agriculture. It is that important. If you look at the Vermont law, it was written not to simply inform Vermont consumers. It was written to discourage the use of biotechnology throughout our country. Uh, and there, there are reasons uh, about that. Uh, in most simple terms, this is an extraordinary law. It's about food labeling, and yet it exempts food retailers. It doesn't apply to the food retailers in Vermont. It applies only to the manufacturers. So if a manufacturer sells food somewhere else in America and then it is uh, purchased and, and then resold in Vermont, that manufacturer uh, is, sub, is uh, liable if the, if the labeling doesn't conform to Vermont's requirements. This is a law uh, that, that is most extraordinary in how you write and apply uh, food labeling laws. This was intended to reshape the American food supply. It was intended not to confine its effect to Vermont. It would have been very easy for, for Vermont to say this will apply to food retailers, and then those retailers would say to all their suppliers, you've got to give me stickers or whatever, be sure that my labeling is, is compliant, and it would have worked fine and been limited to Vermont. But that's not what happened because they are trying to reshape the American food supply to discourage the use of biotechnology in agriculture. John, does it apply to all foods? It does not apply to all foods. Maple syrup is exempted. Uh, dairy products that do not have other ingredients are exempted. Uh, it, it is uh, one of the ways that it's very clear that Vermont was was crafting this law so it had as little unique effect on Vermont as possible, and its primary effect would be to reshape the American food supply. Uh, there, the total, it could be as much as two-thirds of the foods in Vermont, uh, sold in Vermont, would be exempted. 
the discussion has been about, well, if this is one state, then there'll be a patchwork of other states. Is there any evidence that there would be other states that would take up labeling laws? Absolutely, Jeff. You know, we've had four states, California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, have all had statewide referenda on this issue. And when it started out, the polls said over 80% of consumers were for the GMO labeling. But after the campaign went through, people had the debate, they started to understand it. The GMO labeling referendum lost in every one of those states. And now we have uh, some 19 state legislatures that are considering GMO labeling requirements. Other states have said that they will institute GMO labeling if a certain number of surrounding states do. This is a very real threat. And what I'd also like to tell you, Jeff, is I represented the restaurant industry as a whole on the issue of menu labeling. And it took a long time to get the restaurant industry to come together and say, we're going to have menu labeling and we'll put calories on the menus and menu boards. By the time we finally got it together and we finally got Congress to act on it, there were 27 localities that had menu labeling requirements for chain restaurants. No two of those 27 jurisdictions had the same requirement. It was a different requirement in every one of them. And that is why a patchwork is so disruptive. And uh, that is why GMO labeling, what that would do to disrupt our food supply and system, is just hard to calculate. So we have the Pompeo bill, in essence, that's been approved from the House, multiple pages. We have the chairman's mark from the Senate Agriculture Committee, very few pages, with an understanding that most likely amendments are coming when it does come to the Senate floor. And then Senator Merkley's offered a piece of legislation that would be mandatory labeling, whereas the Senate version is a voluntary program. What's your analysis of what came from the Senate Agriculture Committee, and and what do you see of its plight when it gets to the Senate floor? It looks to me like the heavy lifting is still in front of us. I'm with you, Jeff. I think the heavy lifting is in front of us, but we've got a real power lifter in charge. Senator Roberts, the chairman of the Senate Agriculture Committee, is as good as they come. And what moved out of committee was a 14 to 6 bipartisan bill. And and several of the senators who voted against it said that they knew we have to fix this problem and they are in negotiations with Senator Roberts to get it done. July 1st implementation means that food companies are now relabeling products to be sure they comply. I, I believe the leadership will have a bill and there will be a vote one way or the other before Easter and Senator Roberts is working hard to get the votes. In my view, the key is that we don't have a label statement on foods that is perceived as a warning statement or a skull and crossbones uh, because that is the effort to discourage the use of biotechnology in agriculture. There is one side of this debate that says by going to a voluntary label but not having mandatory in place, the consumer's right to know is gone. The industry can hide. There's not full disclosure. On the other side, it is more of 
and allowing for information but not describing specifically what has to be done. The way the law works in food labeling is that if there is a material difference regarding a food, something of significance, then it is required that it be on the label, and the label says that clearly. But here, with the use of biotechnology, there is not a material difference. The food is just as safe, and that is why a mandatory label statement, it's understandable consumers would think that that's some kind of a warning. Uh, What we have now is uh, organic food. Consumers know organic food is non-GMO. We have non-GMO labeling. For the last six years, the fastest growing category of claims in foods has been non-GMO. So there's lots of labeling saying non-GMO. So consumers have information now where they want it. The idea of a mandatory label is intended to discourage the use of biotechnology. Do you have insight into members of the Senate Agriculture specifically and Ranking Member Stabenow of the things that they really want to bring to this legislation to gain the other votes that might be needed to even overcome a filibuster? Well, I think what Senator Donnelly from Indiana did was very insightful leadership. He's looking at how do we ensure that the QSR code, the sort of smart label concept, is effective? How do we be sure that it gets the job done, that he doesn't want to just trust, he wants to have a mandate to be sure it's effective? I I think that is the kind of concept that's being discussed so that the assurance will be there that a, a guarantee in the law that uh, the consumer information will be provided. Those who say that uh, they just have to have a label on the food that will be perceived as a warning label, that's not going to work for us because it will, um, all of our experiences, it will prevent the use of the technology. Do you, do you see irradiated food on the shelf today? It's because of the food irradiation label. It it is perceived by consumers as a warning statement, and anybody in food marketing will tell you those products don't sell, so the technology isn't used. You spent money looking at what the Vermont law, and if other states adopted their patchwork of mandatory labeling, of what that might cost, and what did you learn? Well, Secretary Vilsack was going around saying this this Vermont law is going to cost, it's going to affect food prices, and all, all the authorities were saying it's going to affect food prices. And so we went to uh, an economist and got an analysis done, and the idea was to use conservative assumptions and, and figure out what the effect would be. And, of course, the, the key point here is it's, it's not just Vermont. It affects food prices throughout the country. And what the conclusion was that it could raise food prices for the average American household by $1,050 over the next year. And the, the reason for that is that disruption throughout the food supply, the need to change sources of ingredients, and, and so that is how the number came out. So food prices across the country would be raised by the Vermont law. A number of ways that the price moves up, not just for the paper and the label of the food, along the food production chain from the field all the way to the factory to the shelf. 
Absolutely, Jeff, and that's why, to me, it's it's understandable that we care a lot about this issue, uh, and, and we funded a study. It's understandable to me that folks on the other side would say they disagree. You look at the discussion among the ag economists who uh, don't have a vested interest. That is very interesting. They're saying, yes, it costs some money to change labels, but that's not a big cost. Uh, what does cost a lot is if you add complexity to the supply chain, if you have to have different uh, sourcing. So maybe a company has 10 products today, but if they have to have a different version of each of those, they move to 20 products. They've got 20 different, they, they just double all kinds of operations and distribution systems. Also, what happens if, as is often the case, if uh, to dis- to avoid the use of a label that's seen as a warning label and discourages purchase of the product, companies have to suddenly change their sourcing and go non-GMO for all kinds of product sourcing. Well, uh, that on average today costs 11% more than GM. But if there's suddenly a surge in demand for those non-GMO ingredients, what happens to those prices? Our study assumes there would be no increase in in the cost of the non-GMO ingredients. Uh, and so that was an example of where the, the assumptions were conservative. The point is, this is very complex system that is being reshuffled completely because of the Vermont law and its costs will be borne by consumers. If consumers want to know more, it seems perhaps that a QRS code would provide a sea of information. What did you intend to provide? What was proposed under the smart label that consumers would be able to readily discover? Uh, a great deal inf- of information, but in particular whether the product is, is produced with uh, the benefit of biotechnology. Uh, so that information would be provided. There's also uh, other sourcing information. Uh, and um, so it, it, the, the biotechnology question would be answered with great clarity with the smart label. The process ahead to the Senate floor, some sort of a compromise with the House language and final approval. How much time is there left? There's no time left. Uh, you know, with, with implementation on July 1st, uh, costs are already being incurred. So we're, we're, we're past the deadline. Uh, but I, I think the way this is likely to happen is Senator Roberts uh, is uh, masterful about this. He is going to do all he can to get a compromise crafted so he has 60 votes. And if he does that, he will do it in consultation with the House of Representatives so that whatever deal he cuts will be a deal that the House can buy into. And uh, so it can promptly go to the if it can pass the Senate, it would go to the House, uh, pass there quickly, and go to the President for signature. Um, the key is, will we get over that 60-vote hurdle in the Senate? It seems a related topic in that not of labels, but of the dietary guidelines. A lot of controversy and a lot of discussion of that over the past several weeks. How does it affect the Corn Refiners Association, and how does it fit into the dialogue? 
Well, I, I think federal nutrition policy affects all of us in food and agriculture. Uh, and it does so because uh, we're supplying the food supply, that uh, food policy shapes the, the consumption habits. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we've seen the dietary guidelines uh, make a number of mistakes because they were relying on on uh, science it was not as strong they were well intentioned but they were mistakes we know the avoid cholesterol uh, advice was a mistake they w- they've withdrawn it uh, the low fat diet initiative that was such a major thrust was a mistake they w- they've withdrawn it now they've got a, a added sugars proposal uh, that is clearly a mistake there's huge controversy in the scientific community about it uh, and uh, they're going to wind up re- withdrawing it in time. But uh, what Congress is doing now is they're saying, we've got to get a hold of this process where uh, it, it's all over the map. They keep changing their minds. They're relying on weak science. The latest proposal was talking about tax policy and sustainability, all kinds of things they had no competence to address. So what we're hearing from Congress is they're interested in reforming this process so that the political appointments are taken out of it and they are required to rely upon a higher evidentiary standard so the scientific integrity of this process would be enhanced. That will mean that the dietary guidelines will be less flashy but they will be more accurate and that would be good for advancing public health, our economy, and the credibility of nutrition science. John, the administration is spending time now talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The Office of the Trade Representative is spending time talking about it, and our Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, continuing to talk about the advantages for the country of the TPP. How does it affect the Corn Refiners Association? The TPP would open some markets for us, and, and we are um, uh, uh, enthusiastic about that. We're for TPP. We are for free markets broadly uh, because American agribusiness is uh, the strongest in the world. We're very competitive. We just need access to those markets, and, and we'll do well by it. Uh, so, so we are supportive. Uh, I, I want to acknowledge TPP is 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 it's not um, the the perfect uh, solution. I I don't think anybody would. Uh, well, we don't think it is, but uh, it's an improvement. And uh, X is greater than zero. We need to get progress in in uh, getting access to more markets for American agriculture. Well, John Bodie, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It's open mic and it's an open forum, sir. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I just celebrate the fact that we've got American food and agriculture generally working together well. And we need to hang on to that everywhere we can. We need to keep crop insurance strong. Uh, that's important. And we need to be sensitive to these consumer-facing issues, all these labeling issues. And in doing so, we need to be sure that there is accuracy in how labeling is understood. It's um, a lot of times an idea, may, a statement may be truthful, but highly misleading. 
and and so uh, like GMO labeling, it may, maybe that's truthful. But if it's pers- done in a way that consumers perceive it as a warning that that it's it's uh, the product is somehow less safe, that is misleading, and we need to be sure that our labeling policies are both truthful and non-misleading. Our thanks to John Bodie, CEO and President of the Corn Refiners Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.